Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. Tennis Direct are Australia's favourite online tennis store with fast delivery and great prices. Free delivery on orders over $150. Just visit their website, tennisdirect.com.au and you can get a 10% discount store-wide. Just use the promo code FIRSTSERVE10. That's FIRSTSERVE10. Welcome to Aussies Only. The first serves deeper look inside the game at home, talking to those inside and outside the tram lines. Hello and welcome to Aussies Only, your weekly podcast here at the First Serve, where we take the time to zone in on the Australian tennis landscape, all thanks to Latour Tennis. Head over to latourtennis.com to get your hands on the hottest tennis apparel in the game. They've just released a brand new collection, so make sure to check that out. It includes a hoodie, t-shirt collection, and mask. So be sure to head over to latourtennis.com before it all sells out. It's your host, Jed Zetta, and this week we bring you a very special edition of the show as we chat to Thanasi Kokonakis. We dive deep into his life and his tennis journey. I'm going to hand it over to my co-host, Jake Eames, to introduce him. Eamesy, I'm sure you can't wait for this one. Deserves a massive intro, and I'm, I'm looking at all his achievements, and uh, we, we don't have time to go through it. Um, he's been a great Australian role model for, for young players, bursted onto the scene at such a young age, and uh, has has really lit up the Australian TVs. We're super pumped to have him on board today. Thanasi Kokonakis, welcome. Thanks, mate. Pleasure to have me. Thanks, fellas. Thanasi, you're a South Australian boy. Tell us what it was like growing up in Adelaide. Yeah, it's pretty pretty peaceful, pretty calm. There's not heaps going on in Adelaide. Um, it was good, good for when I was younger. Um, I started playing basketball um, as my first sort of sport, and then I just pretty much followed what my brother did. He picked up a tennis racket because I think he picked it up as a school sport in summer, um, and I think he started losing a fair bit when he initially started. So my dad's like, he's pretty competitive as well. So he's like, I can't have this. Going to get him lessons, and then. Uh, then, yeah, I kind of just joined joined Todd there and, and started picking up a racket and just grew up spending most of my childhood in Adelaide just playing all kinds of sports. Yeah, you started at seven years of age. Uh, was, that, was that with Todd as well? And, and when was the moment you guys realised, like, geez, you're not bad at this? Yeah, it was with Todd as well. He was having a drink break in one of his practice sessions and I just, I think I had my basketball shorts on. I must have come from a game or something and I just picked up a racket and started hitting. And I was making pretty good contact with the ball without really learning anything at all. I wanted to be a one-hander at the start, but uh, Todd kind of buffed that out pretty quick. I, I was training for probably like a year. I picked it up pretty quick. I decided I didn't, didn't want to play basketball anymore because uh, with team sports, or I don't know, when I played well and my team lost, I'd be pissed off. And if my team won and I didn't play well, I'd be pissed off. So the only time I was kind of happy was if I played Unreal and my team won. So it doesn't leave a whole lot of margin for error all the time there. And I also hated um, Sunday practices. Um, little did I know, coming to tennis, I'd also have those as well when I was younger. But probably I won a tournament called Kids Cup when I was nine um, in Adelaide and then ended up going to Canberra, playing sort of the final event there. Um, and that's probably when I knew I was actually decent at it. Yeah, I mean, it happened really early for you. Uh, in 2009, you were selected to go on a Tennis Australia European tour. 
with three other players in your age bracket. Tell us about this whole experience and how it influenced your career. 2009. So can you tell me those players? I don't which... It was James Ma, Lee Tu, and Daniel <laughs> Talens. That's funny. That was one of the funniest trips I've ever been on. <laughs> we, had a, we had a real strict coach in Broad Dyke. Now, I don't know if you guys know too much about Broad. Yeah, no, you might have seen him yeah. floating around. Um, but he was like a hard ass, like massive hard ass. I think he, he helped us a lot. We had a lot of boys coming through, um, especially Adelaide. We're all from Adelaide and that was a Tennis Australia trip. So it could have been, could have been all through Australia, but all of us obviously from Adelaide. So we were doing something right back then. But yeah, I don't know. It was just a real eye-opening experience. The only time I think I went overseas before that was to Eddie Herr, uh when I was in play Orange Bowl when I was uh, maybe 11 or 12. But yeah, it was just good to kind of see, see where we were at. I think I was probably the year under. So yeah, me and Lee too were the year under. We were 96s um, and Talons and Ma were 95s. Um, and it was just our first experience sort of away from home, extended period of time and traveling and, and testing ourselves against the best. And I think that's so that's so important to do when you're young, just to kind of see where you're at and where you're tracking. Obviously, the end results aren't the most important at that age, but you kind of want to know if you're there or thereabouts and what you need to work on. So I think, yeah, we probably didn't do the best over there, but it was some, definitely eye-opener uh, when we were younger. Yeah, you set up a great foundation, it seems like. Is it 14 years of age, you qualified for the Australian Open Juniors and you see that happen a little bit in, in the girls' Uh, slams where you have someone you know 13 14 breaking through to play a slam how was that experience for you at such a young age yeah that was that was nuts for me I had had a real good year 14 years old uh, sounds weird that I can remember that but a couple <laughs> milestones there obviously calling for uh for Aussie Open was was pretty big I um I remember I played to Raugen, uh, the qualifying and I think that might have been my first ITF uh the week before uh, I lost first round qualities and I was just so disappointed with how I played uh, and then I went back to Adelaide to train with, um, obviously, Todd Langman, but I hit a lot with Todd Lay as well at that age. And those guys are both still coaching me now. And we literally did every morning, I think, two, two and a bit hours before school, just grinding and playing so many points out of the hand. And then come come a week later, I just felt super prepared. So a lot of credit goes to, goes to him for helping me qualify then. But yeah, 14 was a big year. I remember I got a wild card to Ipswich Future. Um, and I played Leon Frost, and I knew, <laughs> like, yeah, this is crazy. I've got ridiculous memory. It's a bit weird. Um, but I remember Brent Larkin gave me a call, um, and he gave me a wild card, and I was just so excited to, to play a future and potentially get a point because getting your first ATP point, that's a massive deal. Well, I thought it was back then, and I think a few people did. So I was like, this is, this is a golden opportunity, and I knew – I would potentially be one of the youngest ever. Now, I think there were a few people before me to get one, but I knew I was, I was going to be up there. And I remember, I don't know if you know about the Ipswich floods, but it can get pretty hectic up there. So we were one set all, and I was 4-2 in the third set tiebreak up against Leon Frost. And I've never seen rain like this before. So it just buckets down. We're, uh, I have to go back to, I was like, for sure, there's no way we're playing today. Um, it wasn't that early in the day as well and I've never seen rain like this I'm like there's no way a clay court can take this especially with what Queensland rains are like anyway and uh, 4-2 gets called off we get in the van to go back to the hotel and shower or whatever because there's a rain delay and I see Leon Frost walking by the van and he's like crying with his head down as if he's lost to a, a 14 year old and I joke I joke to the guys around me I'm like look at this guy 
He's <laughs> 27 and he's crying because he's about to lose to a 14 year old. <laughs> anyway, fast, fast track a few hours. I get back to the courts. Me and Laney, who was coaching me at the time over there, um, kind of devised a plan of how I'm going to play the point. I'm 4 2 up serving. I'm going to go big body and then hit inside in for a forehand and go for it. So I do that. It goes to my backhand and I still try to go to the same spot. I miss it by like an inch and then like my dream has shattered. I just knew that was my chance. I end up losing that match 8 6. Uh, in the third set tiebreaker and then no. Leon Frost walks past me later and sure enough I'm the one crying and he's the no. one having a good time so um, <laughs> that was a that was a grim memory for me but fortunately enough um, I thought that was going to be my last chance but Brent gave me another wild card because I played well that week uh, in Bundaberg and yeah I got my first ATP point the week after against Kento Takushi so that was pretty sick. Well, mate, you got him back. You uh, played him again the following year in uh, 2012 in a Futures and you beat him. I don't, I don't remember that one for some reason, but I'm happy I did. I'm happy I did because he was a pest yeah. and he had a real bad run. He didn't used to hit it very hard. So annoyed. Yeah, he didn't. Big, big guy used to just plug it in, didn't he? Yeah, he was massive. I'm like, how is this guy not hitting harder? Like, it's not possible to hit it this soft at that big. <laughs> Oh, it's an outrageous story there, Cock. Um, how did you go from two years from that moment uh, into Perth, Hopman Cup, where you're, you're competing against Fernando Velasco, Novak Djokovic, and you, I think you partnered uh, Venus Williams in doubles. Yeah. How did you go from stepping up from, from where you were to that level in two years? Man, honestly, a lot of credit goes to Todd. Like, I did that much training. Like, it's borderline ridiculous when I was younger. I don't think... I think when, when I tell people how much training I actually did, they're kind of like baffled at how I was able mm. to do it. And maybe maybe a bit of that training kind of caught up with me sort of when I started to try and start my pro career a little bit as far as injuries go. Uh, but I was hitting two, sometimes three times a day, doing other fitness in the morning and a gym later. And we used to have recovery day on, say, Thursdays where we'd train in the morning, have ice baths. And then potentially I'd, I'd end up going to Todd's house later that night um, at 9 or 10 o'clock some days as well uh, and train after that. So I don't know. I just hit so many balls when I was younger and I just kind of felt like I outworked a lot of people. Looking back, I might have been able to do it smarter, uh, but I don't know. That was the way. My body was fine back then and I just kept, kept grinding and kept, kept hitting and uh, I was really competitive. So I wanted to be the best at that point. All that hitting and the training, it all seemed to have paid off very early for you. you. I remember following that Hopman Cup, you get a wild card into Australian Open Qualies. Now, I was pretty young back then, but I was like, oh, I'm going to go check out this match. Little did I know I'd be sitting there for hours. You ended up going 15-17 in the third that was crazy. Uh, against, against Steve Johnson. Do you want to tell us about that match? Man, that was nuts. Um, so I didn't really know much of this guy. That was my first Grand Slam qualifying uh, opportunity. I felt like my game was in a good spot, obviously coming from Hopman Cup. Sorry, I didn't really touch on that too much. Killer Paul Kildare gave me the opportunity to be reserve. So he's like, yeah, you get paid a little bit, be reserve, get a hit with all these great players and just kind of be the hitting partner and fill in maybe if, if someone goes down. And I'm like, I'm not going to... I watched Hopman Cup on TV when it was at the Burswood Dome when I was so young. So I was like, this is going to be a sick experience regardless if I get a match or not. And then I think Isner might have gone out with a knee injury. Yep. Um, and then I ended up playing Vadasco. And I actually, I think I was up three love in the first set tiebreak on him as a 16-year-old. So I was like, hang on, like I'm a shot here. And then I kind of gassed out a little bit in the second. But <laughs> I kind of knew my game was at a good, good point. So 
coming into that Aussie Open, I felt pretty confident. Playing Steve Johnson, didn't know much about him. Then did a little bit of research and found out he had probably, I think, the longest streak ever in college tennis wins. So I was like, all right, here we go. I'm in for a battle. But I don't think he knew too much about me either. But I remember I was down 6-4-5-3, maybe 15-40. And I hit like a running backhand pass to, to level the game or to, to level the match and to save the match points. And then, yeah, got the break back. And it was just, I couldn't touch his serve and he couldn't really touch mine in the third. But I remember we were just both holding on to our service games. And then as it was getting deep in the third, I started feeling like a cramp in my hip and hip flexor every time I was landing on serve. And I didn't really, I'd never cramped at that point. Um, I felt like I was too young to even get to the point where I'm that fatigued to cramp. So, um, yeah, I started landing on serve and I'm like, oh, I don't have long in me here left. And then, uh, yeah, I air swung a return and the uh, game set match to Johnson, 15-13. So, um, but no, that was my first sort of experience to show that I could definitely play with the big boys. Yeah, it is, especially when I notice in juniors now when I'm looking at kids coming through, whenever they're going deep in matches and they're showing their ability to hold serve against high-quality players, it really shows their potential there. The same event, actually, you made the finals of the juniors and went down to Curios. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And also, if you can be honest as well, did Nick's brother's head painted uh, put you off at all? I will answer that. First of all, that was pretty hectic when I saw that. I was <laughs> like, I understood if you painted an Australian flag if you wasn't playing an Australian. But the fact that we were like both mates and then both Aussie, I was like, having someone with an Australian flag doesn't really change that much. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> so uh, where was I? I just got confused. I got distracted by that. Um, the juniors, I remember I had, a, um, I had a battle in the quarterfinal against, his name is Gianluigi Quincy, um, who mm. used to be, he used to be like a, a pretty seriously good player, um, especially in juniors. And I won in the third set um, in an absolute battle. It was a really hot day. Um, and I remember Nick was just like breezing through the draw. But I get off the court and like my back is killing me. And I've already had a stress fracture once in my career, I think, as soon as I turned 15. And now this year I was 16 going on 17. And I get off the court and I tell my fitness trainer, who was Daniel Boobus at the time. Boobs is his nickname. <laughs> I'm like, Boobs, yeah. like... Legend, he's been on the show as well. Like, I didn't say it in those words. I said it in a few more, a few more worse words than that. But I was like, my back's killing me. Like, it feels like we've got a stretch fracture. He's like, no, nah, mate, no, nah, you'll be fine. It's just in the head. It's just in the head of my boobs. Like, I'm telling you, my back is killing me. <laughs> Anyways, so I'm like, whatever. I'm just going to ride it out and see what happens. I end up going for the semi-final match against Chorich. I literally cannot move. Like, my back is seizing up like I've never felt before. I somehow kill him because I think he was just so highly strung and nervous. So I think I won like two and three or two and four or something like that. You might have the results, Jed. I'm not sure, but it was, it was pretty comfortable. And then I get a scan that night because I knew my back was munted and it confirmed that I had a stress fracture. So stress fracture is a pretty serious injury. Usually you miss about six, seven months apiece. And yeah, I was just bawling my eyes out before the final um, the night before because I just knew like I, this was my chance at winning Aussie and I, I literally can't really compete. Fast forward, I'm like, screw it. I'll just take some painkillers and see what happens. Long, long term, probably wasn't the best thing for me, but mm. ended up having some set points in the first set. But yeah, Nick was too good on the day um, for a crippled me as well. So yeah, missed a large part of that year with stress fracture, which is also tough, but definitely a cool experience to play on Rod Labor. Yeah, it must have been unbelievable as well. It's such a young age. And yeah, you're right. It was three and two against Courage in the semis. 
you actually went on to make the US Open final later that year and you played courage again. No, no don't remind me. It kills me. <laughs> kills I was going to say, do you remember what it was like? And did you expect courage at that point to reach the top 15 in the world? Well, I knew he was going to be decent. So I remember seeing him for the first time in 12 and unders in Eddie Hearn. And they were like, he was like the only name I heard about. And we had such a strong year. I think Chung. Xiang Chung ended up winning Orange Bowl that year and maybe have beaten Borne in the semis or finals. So I knew he was always going to be there or there around the mark. I just didn't think he had like massive weapons back then, but he was a seriously good athlete. It's obviously translated pretty well, but I remember I was out hitting him in the first set. It felt super comfortable. It was up 6-3. And then second set, I think I was down a break, but got it back. And then I had two break points, maybe one all. And he hit two lines on serves and then held serve. And then he just ran away with it. And mentally, I was cooked as well. I was broken. So <laughs> I had my chance there. didn't take it. And uh, that rattled me. But definitely not getting a slam kind of annoyed me as a junior. Yeah, you definitely, you definitely should have uh, bagged one. But it is what it is, isn't it? Um, the courage and yourself, both obviously top 50 players, especially when you're healthy. Were there any other players, I guess, through the junior slams that you thought could have been top 50 or even top 100 and, and kind of never never kicked on? Well, I thought Quincy um, would have kicked on. Obviously, he's not, not that old either. He won junior Wimbledon. I don't know if it was that. I think it was that year. Yeah, it was that year. Because I played him in the US as well. I think in the quarterfinals maybe or round of 16, I won in three sets again. So Yeah, quarters. Yeah, it was Verov was that year. Obviously, he kicked on pretty well. I'm trying to think who else that year. I played Garen in the semis of junior US Open. So you can see it was a pretty strong tournament. I'm trying to think, Jerry. I think I beat Jerry as well in that in that yep. tournament in the US Juniors. I'm trying to think of someone that uh, Quincy's probably the first that comes to mind. I thought um, he had a pretty good game for all surfaces. People obviously think him as a clay quarter, and he won Junior Wimbledon. He was decent on hard. Uh, there's got yeah, there's got to be some others which I thought maybe uh, would have kicked, but haven't. But um, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. Everyone develops at different times as well, and, and some people have done better than I expected. Obviously, Charles did well. Um, Jerry ended up doing pretty well with his career, so I was surprised with that. Obviously, Chung ended up doing well. I'm trying to think who else was there that kind of kicked on a little further. Oh, the one that's really surprising that wasn't... The two guys that weren't great as juniors that have done well is uh, Medvedev and Kashanov, the two Russians. Mm. They kind of came out of nowhere. Rublev, I remember him when he was younger. He was always good, but a massive head case. And now he's obviously, <laughs> he's obviously playing some seriously good ball. But... um. Yeah, it's, it's more the guys that weren't that good in juniors and then kind of kicked late as well. And someone else that's done well, which I would have never thought in a million years, is kind of Cameron Norrie. When he was a junior, he was kind yeah. of a fair way off the mark. And obviously, he's done, done real well to compete and, uh, and do what he has on the, on the pro level. So, hats off to him as well. It's always interesting seeing how juniors transition onto the pro circuit. I mean, it can go in all different directions for different players. Uh, speed forward a couple of months and you've qualified for the Brisbane International to kick off your 2014 season. You get drawn to play Leighton Hewitt in the first round. That must have been a special moment for you. But how did you find playing an Australian legend in your tour debut? Man, I was so, I was so amped for that match. I remember it was that hot that year in qualifying. I think I played... Golubev first round, he came from Kazakhstan or Eastern Europe or wherever he came from and he was absolutely gassing um, and I started to play pretty good and then I saw I was drawing late and, and I was actually like pretty, I was so keen for that match I was, I was pretty fired up to play and yeah, like I'd never played in a crowd and atmosphere like that, obviously the Hopman Cup and 
the junior final kind of gave me the feeling of playing on a big stadium, but not when it's like on to a massive match. Um, so that was that was pretty nuts. And yeah, to, to play him, it was so quick in Brisbane that year. Like he did this little slider to the forehand on the juice side and I could not return it. Like it was a nightmare. Like I, I literally couldn't get the ball up. And I was just thinking during the whole match, I was nervous, but I was just thinking I'm going to be on TV. I think my mates were at schoolies because it was New Year's Eve, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, well, this is a pretty cool stage. Hopefully some of them are watching if they're not too munted. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and I was like, no, I was, I was just competing. I remember I lost the first set and then I was up a break in the second set and started feeling myself. I had the Aussie fanatics chanting my name um, and I was kind of giving them a bit back. Sure enough, my ego got the best of me and I got broken straight back and then lost. Um, but no, that was, that was an unreal experience. And uh, yeah, to play, to play Aussie legend like that on centre court was, uh, was pretty surreal, especially at 17. How's the contrast there with, with your mates who grew up from school, you know, off to schoolies and, and the sacrifices you have to make, but at the same time, you know, you're playing Leighton Hewitt in, in Brisbane. How, how is that growing up and, and making those sacrifices? Did you find that difficult at all? It is. It's always, I think, I think to have a balance is healthy, but I think um, you still need to be clear about where you want to go. I think there's definitely time to hang out with your mates and, and have a good time, but you've got to know when those moments are uh, to get right. And I think I did a good job of that when I was younger. I think maybe potentially the last couple of years, I haven't kind of been, been the best with that at some times. Um, but yeah, for sure, when I was uh, younger, I was definitely had the tunnel vision. And I knew, even though my friends were out, I knew there'd be time for me to maybe after tournaments or after the Oz the Summit, I have a good time with them. Um, mm. It felt like their party kept going, by the way, because I, <laughs> yeah. I saw them at uh, Aussie Open a few weeks later and it didn't seem like uh, they'd stop drinking. So yeah, hats <laughs> off to them. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Well, it sort of came together really quickly for you after that. You received a wild card into the Australian Open main draw. Out on one of the show courts, you beat Igor Seasling in the first round. That was yep. crazy, crazy atmosphere. Hottest day I've ever played tennis. Really? It was 45 degrees outside. It was unbelievable. It wasn't overcast, but I think the sun had gone down and it was still 45. Like, I remember I tried to hit my warm-up. Like, I tried to keep it like to 10, 15 minutes because I couldn't believe how hot it was. I had no mm. idea what was going on. But, yeah, it was, I think it, it was up there for, like, one of the hottest days in Australian Open history, I reckon. Yeah, and I remember at the time, uh, I think you were playing on Showy 2 or Showy 3, and then Kyrgios was on the other one. And yeah. he also got through his first round. You both won at similar times. Yeah. must have been awesome for you guys in the locker rooms after you've just won your first Grand Slam matches. Was that, was that a pretty cool experience for you guys? Oh, it was unbelievable. We felt like we were on top of the world at that point. Um, yeah, I think he, he won his first, I think that was his first Aussie Open uh, win. But I think he won one against Stefanek, maybe got a wild card in the French Open. I don't know if it was the year before or two years before. Um, so I think his first Grand Slam win came against Stefanek at French, I remember. But yeah, um, yeah to, to share that moment with him was, was pretty nuts. Um, we played doubles that week as well, but we got bounced early by a couple of good doubles players. But yeah, to have that experience, especially at that age, I don't think we were expecting it. But I think it just showed uh, what we were capable of at a young age. Yeah, and the reward for that win as well, Cock, was Rafa. a match against Rafa. And uh, yeah. I'm going to throw it out there. Your forehand's almost as big as his. <laughs> what, was, what was that like? And how did you feel you know, being out in the court against someone like Rafa? 
Yeah, well, again, Rod Laver, that was a new experience to me, especially with a packed house this time for Aussie Open. Again, it Nervous? was so hot. It, oh, mate, unbelievable. But I was kind of more excited, to be honest. I was just like, I don't want to... I, I was just curious to see what it was like. I'd hit with him a few times because uh, Babalat had set it up uh, with our sponsorship. Mm. But I was just curious to see what it would be like playing him in a match. And Because in practice, I don't know, I'm sure you guys have heard, he hits the ball maybe three or four times harder than he does in a mm. match. He literally tees off on every ball when you hit with him. So I was curious to see what it was like, the ball was coming uh, when I played him in a match. But um, yeah, it was super hot that day again. So we actually closed the roof uh, and it felt like a night match, even though it was during the day at Rod Laver. And yeah, I came out, held serve. So I was like, all right, there's, there's the first obstacle. And then I hit a forehand winner, I remember, in the first, my first point um, on his serve. Uh, and I was like, hang on, maybe I've got a chance here. And then slowly that was buffed out pretty quick. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I lost, I think, two, four, and two or three, maybe. Jed, you're, you're the details. Yeah, two, two, four, and two. There you go. So, but I felt like I had chances. Um, maybe not to win, but definitely to, to make it competitive and make it tighter. Um, and I felt like when I was on top of the rally, I had a, I had a good, good shot at literally winning the point. Um, but the one thing I just struggled with then when I was younger was finding, finding the return. I felt like, his serve was a little underrated and the lefty slider. And if you don't get a good enough return, then he was kind of dictating me with his forehand. So that's what I found. But I found when, when the score was level with him, he's very, very playable. Like it was very, um, no, I'm not going to say it was easy, but I definitely didn't feel overwhelmed. But it's when he, he kind of get nervous and then he gets the break and that's when he starts kind of freeing himself up and that's when he's at mm. his most dangerous. So... I started yeah, to realize find... when he started hitting his backhand flatter and his forehand line started going. And I was like, ah, oh, so this is, this is why he's been, been a champ for so many years. Yeah, did you find when he was a bit closer, he just played a little bit more predictable, a bit more disciplined maybe? Yeah, very, very safe. Obviously, he just beat me, um, I'd say, more physically than anything. Mm. Um, like, I'm, I'm not the biggest guy strength-wise, but even back then, I was an absolute stick um, compared to the other guy. So he was a absolute machine and he's number one in the world so um, I felt like I got handled a bit more physically than anything but yeah it just shows to be at that level for so many years and that strong and that physical it's, it's a massive part of tennis. Absolutely and following that Australian Open you made your Davis Cup debut against France playing Julian Benito. that yep. must have been a serious dream come true for you. Yeah it was pretty unreal I had the uh, experience of being orange boy um, in Davis Cup when I was 15, um, and it was at Pat Rafter Arena. Uh, and I think we might have played Korea, I think it was, for that tie. Um, and that was pretty cool, just being around the guys and see how they operate. And then, yeah, to, to be actually named in the team, 17 was pretty nuts. I remember I played a dead rubber, but, uh, yeah, I was super nervous, by the way. It was, like, no pressure I'd played before, like, away from home with like a million, what it felt like a million French fans just blowing horns in my ears. I was, mm. I was so rattled, I'm not going to lie. I had no idea what was going on. I played a shocker, but you know, that, that's what the experience is for. And, and I'm definitely thankful I got that opportunity. Yeah, not many tennis players get to experience that. It's awesome for you to kind of share that with us. From there, you started to get a few more wild cards and you really played across all levels. Uh, you yep. won some futures events, handful of quarters and semis at challenges. And then you won your first tour level win it all happened real quick you're just knocking up wins everywhere how'd you do it and what do you think were the key factors there to help you transition into the atp level so so fast 
again, I'm going to give massive credit to Todd. He kind of had the vision when I was younger. Um, always, this kind of stemmed from a young age. I was always playing up and always playing against stronger, better competition. So to try and develop weapons with my game um, and to try and win points easier and kind of have go-to sort of things that I could use. So, yeah, I feel like that was massive when I came onto tour. I was just hungry. You know, when you're young and you come from juniors, uh, you get so many questions, oh, but can they do it at the next level type of thing? Um, and I was just very hungry and very keen to prove people wrong. And I just remember playing so many matches that year and, and staying healthy is obviously and continues to be the most important thing for me. But that was what I was able to do, was winning a lot of challenger matches. And then I'd play a, all these, when they had bigger draws in qualifying for tour events, I think you'd have to win three rounds in qualifying. So I was either winning three rounds in qualifying and then winning a round or just qualifying um, every week. So, yeah, I, I don't know what the record was as most qualifying uh, qualifying tournaments were qualified uh, that year, but mm. I think I was, I was pretty high up. Um, but just getting so many matches and becoming match-hardened um, and just believing, I think, was, it was a massive thing for me that year. Just, yeah, just testing myself against the best and, and just racking up wins gave me a lot of confidence. Yeah, absolutely. No, you had an unbelievable run. 2015, speed forward to the Australian Open. Uh, you come up against Ernest Gulbis in the first round. Now, he was the 11th seed. And a lot of people were saying it was a bit of a danger match because of the form you were in coming into the tournament. Yeah. I don't think many expected you to win, though. I mean, you're a teenager, wild card, and you've, you've beaten him 8-6 in the fifth. I was there yeah. that day, and... Honestly, it was probably the craziest yeah. atmosphere I've ever seen in my life at a yeah. at a sporting event. Uh, that was a <laughs> massive breakthrough for you. Can you tell us yeah. about that feeling when you won it? And, you know, you must have been on cloud nine. Yeah, I get chills when I think of it, honestly. Definitely my greatest memory in Australia as far as probably my greatest tennis memory, to be honest. The atmosphere I felt there, I literally felt like I couldn't do any wrong. Like, I, there's a video there's a video after the the match and it shows me getting like swamped by fans. And I honestly, for yep. like a split second there, I felt like Ronaldo, I reckon after that game, <laughs> like it was, <laughs> it was absolutely absurd, but yeah, I, I was just competing and I was playing well. I felt really fit again from just playing a lot of matches. I had a good off season that year and I just tried to keep it level with him. I, I think you remember seeing Gulbis in that forehand, so it could definitely go off. Um, and I knew, I knew forehand was my best shot. So I thought there was, there was some things I could exploit, but obviously, you know, he'd made the, final, the semifinals of French and, and obviously been such a good and dangerous player for so many years, massive serve. So I just tried to stay competitive and see what happens. But with such a technical sort of hole like that, you know, if you, if you can kind of get it under pressure, you never know what can happen. And that's what I did. I kept pressure. I think he had a match point in the field. I think I saved maybe four or five match points, but I remember on one of them, I just felt no pressure then. I, I was just uh, kind of hitting serves in big targets and, and hitting lines actually when I, when I was down match point. And then I had a forehand and I think the odds were with me a little bit. He kind of guessed the wrong way. I've hit it off. Um, and I thought it felt good off my racket, but he was almost certain it was out. I challenged it. Hawkeye showed it was, uh, it touched the back of the line. And I think, from then, I was like, hang on, I think this, this match is kind of meant for me to win. So I remember on match point, as soon as I got the daylight to hit it to his forehand, I'm like, I'm going there and living with the results. Sure enough, <laughs> I went there and he netted it. And uh, yeah, I think I fell to the ground like a spastic, but it was an unreal, <laughs> unreal feeling. Mate, you mentioned walking off and being swamped. Um, yeah. Look, let, let's, let's be honest, you're a good looking rooster. Uh, <laughs> you're notching up wins. 
you're all over the TV, the news. You cracked top 100, actually, in 2015. Did you find at any point difficult dealing with, you know, the pressure and fame coming along with it all? I didn't struggle initially because I was just, I just felt on top of the world. Um, I felt like, you know, you kind of, everyone's kind of looking at you a little bit. So I did feel nervous, but I also had a lot of, a lot of ability in my game. So I felt pretty confident um, whoever I was going to play against. And especially if I didn't kind of slacken off on training and kept working hard, um, I knew that I'd only just scratched the surface of what I thought I was capable of. So um, I just kept training, but I definitely, if, when I came back to Adelaide and kind of hung around sort of my age group of friends, then I felt like a hero, which obviously I wasn't. Um, but um, yeah, that, that was that was pretty cool, cool experience. But the the year that was tough, which I'm sure you guys will touch on, was was the one after that. Yeah. So you've you've had an incredible run, transitioning onto the tour, and actually now getting incredible results. You're inside the top 100. And yeah, unfortunately, injuries kick in for you in 2016. You're actually only able to play one event, but it was the Olympics. Yep. How was that experience representing your country in the Olympics? And do you think that maybe you shouldn't have played because of your injuries or was it? Or were you given the, the go-ahead to play? Yeah, it's, it, was a, it was a tricky one. So obviously I had, had a good year in 2015 and sort of towards the end of it, I felt a little bit burnt out. And I remember... I had some ongoing shoulder issues for, for a long time and I got in the gym with my mate and just kind of, just to kind of blow a little bit of steam off and a little bit of frustration stuff. I started lifting a fair bit, you know, Nike, I, I did a video on this um, and it was just me completely honest. Nike were doing a, uh, a sleeveless top the next year and just me being vain as well. I was just like, all right, well, I might as well try and look jacked as well for it. Um, <laughs> wrong idea. Started lifting. All of a sudden I'm like, hang on, I can't lift my shoulder. Uh, past my hips like I literally can't get my arm up eventually took a bunch of cortisones got surgery fast track to sort of mid 2016 my physio uh, my uh, surgeon told me it would take me a few months and I should be ready to go by Indian Wells that year it wasn't I could hit groundies and everything but I literally could not surf and then the opportunity came up for the Olympics and I still definitely was not ready at all hadn't played barely could play a practice set and if I was playing a set I couldn't serve over sort of 60 70 percent all the physios told me to not go. They're like, don't worry, Olympics for tennis. It's not like the biggest thing in the world. I know for other sports it is. But my sort of thought process was being a young kid, if I've got a chance and I feel like I'm not going to do more damage to my shoulder, I don't know where I'm going to be come sort of 2020 for the next Olympics or exactly who, who would have predicted this. So I was kind of right. I don't know what I'm going to do or when I'm going to have the next opportunity to do it. So definitely went away from the experts advice there. And I was like, mm. screw it. I'm playing. Like, I feel like if they were in my position, they would have done the same. And it wasn't even that I thought I could win the Olympics because I'd done no, or even win matches. I'd done no preparation and nothing that would make that a possible outcome. But I was just like, I'm going to see the best athletes in the world. I'm going to experience this. I'm going to I've been watching it on TV. It's going to be an unreal atmosphere. Um, and yeah, I don't have one regret about going at all because uh, who knows if I'll ever make another Olympic team again, if I'll be healthy, if, if things will work out. So for me, that was, that was a no-brainer and I definitely don't regret it. Yeah, good on you, mate. So it sucks to, um, you know, to, to live with regret. So, and you are a team person as well, so I'm sure you would have been you know, right up and about for that. Um, yeah. You did miss a big chunk of the 2017 season, but you took down Roger Federer at Miami uh, in 2018, yeah. can you tell us a little bit about that? That was a huge moment for you, I guess, from, from everything you've been through and you're probably starting to see the, the stars align a little bit there, were you? 
Yeah, well, I'll speak a little bit about 2017 because I feel like everything kind of had a, a pretty important chapter and I think not, not, a few, not many people know this, but so 2017 hits, I've got my protected ranking because I missed so much time. I'm struggling with confidence massively and, and I'm training okay, but I remember my first proper match on tour back, uh, I played Dennis Isterman the week before French Open and I've never felt worse on the tennis court. Like I couldn't, I couldn't hit the side of a truck. Like it was mm -hmm. unbelievable. I felt it was on clay. I felt like I was Bambi on ice. I had no idea what I was doing. I'm like, I'm a shell of myself. Like I'm literally, I don't know if I can get back to playing at a decent level before. And I remember on the practice court with Todd the day after, I was just bawling my eyes out. I was like, mm -hmm. I literally, I'm not enjoying this. My body can't keep up. I suck at the moment. Like I have no confidence. And uh, I spoke to my dad, spoke to everyone. I was seriously thinking about hanging up my rackets, at least taking a massive break uh, because mm. just nothing felt right. I was with a surgery in 2016. And that was one of the things where you said kind of dealing with the fame. I felt like I couldn't leave my house. and I felt like I couldn't, uh, I couldn't really be shown anywhere because I, I didn't deserve to be. Like I had nothing to kind of talk about to people, like nothing good was going on, it felt like in my life. So I felt like I had no, no real exciting period to talk about and I didn't want people to ask me questions about it. So I kind of just felt like I was kind of trapped. So I spoke to Todd and, and my dad and I was like, well, I've got this amount of protected rankings. So I had three Grand Slams or four Grand Slams I could have a crack at. And I told him, I'm like, if I, if I use these, I'm gonna use them and this will be my last shot. And if I kind of, enjoy playing and I'm enjoying and I feel like I'm competitive again um, I'm going to obviously keep playing and give this thing a crack um, and if not then I think it's time for me to kind of look into other options or maybe go to uni or, or study or something like that so that was that was a massive massive kind of shift in my focus and then yeah the week after I did it was real competitive against Nishikori and actually had chances to go up two sets to one on him at French Open through barely any match play and I was like now I've still got a little bit in me here so I'll give it a crack. And that's kind of, yeah, what propelled me to 2018 and, and having the confidence um, against against Federer. I'd trained with him a few times uh, in Dubai. I had the luxury. He asked me to train. So I kind of knew what his game was like. I came through qualies. And, yeah, I just wanted to keep it tight at the start. But I just used my weapons and, and, and trusted my game. It's interesting there we touched on that seven, uh, 2017 going into 2018. Um, and I've often wondered that with, like, I guess, players of your caliber, especially from a young age, a lot of your journey is just built on pure confidence from, you know, just backing yourself and delivering and winning matches, you know, consecutively. Was, was that one of the first periods, really, I guess, when you, you might have just had that, that self-doubt creep in a little bit? It was, it was definitely the most. And the only time kind of self-doubt came for me was when I'd missed a long period of time uh, through injury and I didn't know how I'd kind of return hmm. but there's nothing worse as a tennis player and I'm sure as an athlete or just just mentally as a person doing day-to-day -day things when you start to doubt um, doubt yourself and doubt what you're good at I think a little bit is normal because that kind of keeps you pushing um, hmm. but when you seriously like look at yourself in the mirror and you think you, you're really not up to scratch or you can't do it anymore that's a uh, it's a pretty dark place which I don't don't wish anyone to be into too many times so um, I think that was a real turning point for me. And just, I think that year, somehow I snuck in a final of a tour event in Carbo. And like little, little things like that kind of gave me the confidence that, hang on, when I am healthy, when I am clicking, like 
I feel like there's no limit on what I could potentially do. Um, and I still kind of keep that in my back of my mind when I train during this period and everything to kind of keep me pushing and motivating me. And again, obviously the Federer match, I think everyone was pretty shocked about it, I guess, even myself. But I have, I have the ultimate um, confidence in myself that when I'm healthy and when I'm able and I've done the right preparation, right work, that I think more of those results can happen. Just one quick one from 2017. You mentioned, obviously, you know, you had that little bit of self-doubt. You weren't sure where it was going to go from there. You know, is winning a massive part in just regaining that confidence and, and having the ability to then come back out on court? Because, I mean, in, in that 2017 season, you had some big scalps. You beat Raonich in Queens, and that was, you know, your first, I think it was one of your first top 10 wins. You yep. had a really close match against Del Potro at Wimbledon, and then you make yep. your first final in Carbo, beating Burditch along the way. So, I mean, is winning is winning the remedy? Well, I don't I don't think it has to be winning. I mean, for some people it might be, but for me it was kind of feeling my, where my game is at and knowing when I'm clicking. I remember, I'm, and I know practice doesn't mean a lot because a lot of things can happen in practice. But I remember before I played Roundage uh, that year at Queens. I, I was training with him because I was getting ready for the clay court season, obviously, before I lost to Isterman and then played Nishikori. But I was training with him in Monaco. And I think I gave him the biggest chopping I've ever given anyone in practice. And I honestly think it might have been love and one or one and one at best no. for him uh, in Monaco. And then I think Nick did the draw. And he's like, sorry, bro, when I ended up having to play in McQueen's. And I was like, mate, it's, it's all right. Like, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, and just, so it didn't even have to be the win I had against Rounders because I actually didn't feel like I played that well that day. I kind of got a little bit lucky at times, but it comes from the practice court and the confidence you can get there. And obviously you want to have that validated with wins um, in matches, but you, I think both players kind of know when you're practicing against someone, if your level is there or not. So when I had that win um, against him there, I practiced a little bit with Burdich that week. and was also practicing well and Dimitrov. I'm like, hang on, like, I'm, I'm a serious shot here. Like, I've, I just got to get, kind of get my shit together. I don't know if I can swear. Um, yeah, yeah, I get my stuff it. together and kind of just, like, knuckle down and, and try not to look too much into some bad results and just keep pushing because I know that when my best is there, I'm a serious chance. So that's kind of what I, what I held my hat on. 100%. It's, it's so good. I know all the, the Aussie guys here, who are, you know, fans and players of tennis, it was so good when we, when we saw you back in the draws. Exciting play. And like you said, yeah, there's no one really out there that um, probably wouldn't fear you on the other side of the net. If we can skip forward a little bit to uh, 2019, you played Tara Danu. I was actually in the, in the crowd there watching you. Um, apologies. Apologies for the spectacle. Uh, it was all right, mate. Looked like a tough one, which is what well, I guess we can chat about quickly is the pectoral injury. Yeah. Did it come out of the blue? It looked mentally tough, that one, to take. Oh, mate. That was... I was... Yeah, I was seriously battling. It happened... Uh, so, I played Brisbane qualifying uh, earlier that year again. I was trying to get a wild card, but it didn't happen. Um, so, I was like, that's all right. I'll back myself. So, played, played the qualifying, played well in a couple of matches in qualifying. And I started to feel pretty sore after, uh, where was it? After the last round qualies, I think it was against Garen um, in my pec. Just like a, a little bit, nothing, nothing crazy, but kind of told my physios that I, I was feeling something. Fortunately, had the day off um, before playing Songa, but I didn't, didn't feel 100%. I ended up playing Songa and having chances to win, but 
I kind of was happy that I lost because I felt something in my pec that didn't quite feel normal. So anyway, I ended up having a few days. Again, I was hoping for the main draw. Well, I thought I'd prove my level in Brisbane, but uh, got the qualifying uh, for Aussie Open. And I was like, that's all right, we'll do it the hard way. First match, I'm fine. My body feels fine. The second match, uh, I pull up a little bit sore, but nothing crazy. And then my third round against Polanski, I remember I'm up a set and I've still got this lingering sort of chest pain a little bit. So I feel like I've got a strain there of some sort. And I, um, I, I hit a high forehand in the second set. I think I'm up a break where it's tight and I feel like a, a sharper pull. And I'm like, uh-oh, that isn't good. But at that point, I was just so amped up and so fired up to prove people wrong that I was just so competitive. I just wanted to, to get the win. I was playing on adrenaline. I ended up finishing the match. Um, I got interviewed on court after. I was pretty emotional about it. And because one was because I was fired up because I qualified two because I was like, my body feels awful, but I don't want to tell people. I ended up getting a scan that day. They said I had a grade one pec strain, but I could tell by looking at my pec, like I can literally see a lump in there. So it doesn't, doesn't feel normal. So when they said it was grade one, I was like, oh, I'm pretty skeptical. I end up playing Taro Daniel. I'm actually hitting the ball unbelievable from the baseline, but I'm serving at maybe 100 kilometers per hour because I'm in that much pain for my peg. And then it just gets to a point where I can't, I cannot believe like how painful this is, and I can't play anymore. Um, it was, it was torture being out there. I had had so many conversations saying, "Is it worth me going out there?" And people were like, "Oh, you owe it to yourself." And if I knew I could do more damage to my pec, I wouldn't have played. But I ended up doing a lot more damage, and it turned into a grade three tear. So the, the muscle literally split into two. And yeah, it was, it was definitely definitely a rough last year for me. The last event you did play was a year ago, and you made the Challenger final in the states. Um, unfortunately, though. You've been struck again uh, and you've missed yeah. the remainder of the season and then the start of 2020. Where are you at now? Have you been able to train in the COVID break and are you hoping to get back out on the court uh, in the near future? Yeah, well, yeah, end of last year was, was frustrating because I started to find some good form and won my yeah, first Grand yeah. Slam match in, in five years and felt thought I felt pretty good after. And then the next day, my pec and everything would, had swollen up, so... Uh, as, as shattered as you can imagine I was, I had to pull out against Rafa before the second round. So that was brutal. And then, yeah, did, did some PRP. So I don't know if you guys know what that is, but it kind of takes blood out, spins it and puts it back. So I tried to get that in my pet, kind of to prepare, to prepare for the off-season. Did that, had a good off-season. Last few days of the off-season, I was like, hang on, something with my body isn't right. Like my throat's swollen. Long story short, did some bloods and, and was in hospital and they told me I had glandular fever. So that was rough. Um, so I did a whole, I wish I knew that at the start of my preseason. So I didn't have to do all the hard work before that. But I ended up doing the hard work, glandular hit and uh, been building my way up since. What I'm doing right now is I thought of going to Europe um, and playing some matches, but I thought it's probably not worth it considering what my immune system was like at the start of the year uh, and what could potentially happen. I didn't like the thought of uh, potentially, one, getting COVID um, while I was traveling. So I'd have to quarantine for two weeks overseas and also, two coming back. Um, so that made a massive play. I also didn't want to use my protected ranking during this period because I wasn't sure what tournaments I'd get into as well. So at the moment, I'm training. I'm feeling pretty good. Kind of, yeah, just waiting for some tournaments to start. If there are some small UTRs in Melbourne, I'd be keen to play those. Um, obviously, as you know, Melbourne's a bit of a shit show at the moment. So um, I've, I've got to try and try and work out when I'm ready. But I'm, I'm training um, most days, a couple of days off on the weekend. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm 
I'm keen to get going and test myself and see where I'm at. I know I'm not going to be 100% when I come back, but I, I think come the Aussie summer, I'll be as good as ever, to be honest. Mate, it's really a display of some, some mental toughness there to, to go through all that and, and take all those hits and keep bouncing back. It's, it's impressive uh, to, to, to guess, hear you talk like that and it's great for other juniors as well. You know, going forward, what's the solution? Is, is there a solution? Have you been talking about it? Are you going to play a lighter schedule going forward with injuries or you feel good to play a full schedule or uh, what's your feeling there? Mate, I wish I had the option to play a lighter schedule, but I don't think there's anyone that's played a lighter schedule than me in the last four or five years. So. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I've just got to try and get my, my body and, and myself in a, in a spot where hopefully I'm, I'm so confident um, and physically I'm, I'm feeling better than ever and just go from there. I think initially coming back, it's going to have to be sort of maybe I think it's gonna to have to be results based depends on how I go if I if I lose early in the tournament I should be good to go and play the next one if I have a deep run maybe be smart and take a few days off or, or take the next week off and just kind of play it by ear but I'll, I want to make sure in the off season I'm in such a good spot where I'll be able to play sort of back-to-back -back tournaments from the start which has been frustrating because I haven't been able to play any matches and test myself but for me, keeping my serving up and, and trying to play little tournaments, uh, whoever it may be against, um, is all steps in the right direction for me. So, yeah, looking forward to a big off-season. Hopefully, I can get a lot of match practice, practice some five-setters and, and see how I pull up. But, yeah, really excited to just get back and, and just compete because I think that's all I hang my hat on when I end up playing. Um, so, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. And we're, we're looking forward to seeing you back out there. It feels like you've been around forever and it's quite amazing to think you're still so young you're just 24 and the majority of players these days they hit their peak in their late 20s and even early 30s um what are your long-term goals i guess for the next five to ten years or is it just about sort of competing and you know when you're out there competing you can then establish those goals yeah well i feel like i'm a lot better tennis player than when i was uh i'm a high, highest ranking i just feel like i haven't had the uh had the opportunity to show that because I haven't been able to play um, that long in the schedule. So, yes, I haven't been in the top 100 for a long period of time, but I haven't really had the chance to. For me, my only goal, and it will be for the rest of my career, is to stay healthy and, and then motivated and happy. I feel like if I can do those things, I feel like uh, I've had a real chance to, to make some good runs at some big tournaments and, and go from there. So, um, obviously, ranking-wise, I want to get back in the 100 uh, as soon as possible. Um, but I know to do that, I need to stay healthy um, and then go from there. It's going to be a bit of a grind getting through some challenger events and all that. But again, I think when my game's on, I can, I can hopefully do that pretty quick. But uh, I'm ready for it. I'm ready to compete. So, yeah, my goal is to stay healthy, happy and, uh, yeah, compete hard. Oh, mate, you're getting me pretty pumped up here. That's, <laughs> I'm trying, that's, that's mate. All... I've got to motivate yeah, myself. So hopefully yeah, that's... Other people. <laughs> yeah, it is, mate. That's awesome. Mate, as, as we're wrapping up here, um, we all know you're a recognisable figure in Australia and, and a huge fan base. Can you tell us any stories with some you know, funny or cheeky little encounters that you've had with fans? Jeez, all right. So I had a pretty funny one. I'll, I'll say the first one because I was actually playing. Uh, it was a dude in... Yeah, dude, this sounds weird. Um, it was in Madrid. I, just, I think I just broke top 100. Um, I beat Tip Saravich and that was my match to break top 100 after saving the match point, I think Madrid qualies last round. And some massive fan uh, just jumped the fence. It was on one of the show courts, so it was a pretty decent court. 
he jumped over the barracks and as I was walking off court, he just jumped on my back and hugged me and was like crying. So I was pretty no. rattled. Uh, I didn't know what to do then. Um, so that was pretty hectic because he literally like grabbed me when I, I kind of got blindsided. Um, that was one. The other time I was actually watching Bernie in Aussie Open. I think he was playing Dennis Isterman. And during the drinks break, I had a young girl and I'm pretty sure it was and her boyfriend she literally pulled her top down, not fully, but asked me to sign her boob mid-match while Bernie was playing and the camera was on me. I've, I've, it's probably one of the most uncomfortable situations I've ever been on. I did it because she asked, but I felt forced. Oh, that's brilliant. That There's is probably brilliant. some other ones in there, but uh, yeah, that, that's the two that spring to mind. That's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> the tour's obviously taken you to all ends of the globe. And we've been asking our guests where the best and worst place the tour has taken you. Well, I'm going to start off by saying my favourite place in the world pre-2020 is Melbourne. I love Melbourne. Uh, when, it's, when it's usually in pumping, I feel like there's no city like it. But that's a boring answer. So I'll give you a few, few more interesting ones. So I remember when I was 17, I had a qualifying wildcard to Acapulco. And I lost first round to... Alejandro Fire and I told my coaches and my dad and everything, I'm like, this is my favorite place in the world. And usually as tennis players, you end up liking a lot of places you do well at. So I didn't do well that week, but I was just like, I was literally body surfing on the day. The weather's unbelievable. I'm not an early waker, which was good because in Acapulco, you start matches from like 7 or 8 p.m. onwards. Weather's unreal. I went jet skiing during the day, body surfing, a lot of fans. So Acapulco is definitely out there for me. Mexico. Mexico is just sick. Cabo as well. Um, I'm trying to think there's some other places. London's grown on me. I really like London. All the, all the slams are, are some, some cool spots as well. Miami's good. In, and the worst places I've felt like I've played? Oof. Well, I played Junior Davis Cup in New Delhi. That was pretty grim. I'm not going to complain too much because Thankfully, TA, uh, we, we hired a good hotel. We were stayed, at, stayed at the Grand Hyatt. But the moment we left the Hyatt, yeah, India was pretty crazy. It's, it's crazy to see um, the difference between rich and poor there. I feel like there's no in-between. So India was nuts. There was a massive sacred bull on the side of the road just chilling um, while we're in the taxi on our tuk-tuk, which is a three-wheeled little taxi thing, which feels like you can get blown over at the gust of wind. So I didn't have the utmost confidence there. And some places in the pits of Europe, just Eastern Europe, some grim spots exactly where you're like, why, why do I do this? Just going on these random tram lines, which you don't even know where it's going to end up half the time. So um, a few of those places um, in the back streets of Europe are, are pretty grim. Uh, what else? Yeah. One world junior teams in China. Uh, I think we were in Guangzhou, which actually isn't a bad city, but just little things like we were eating at the buffet and one of the translations to the foods was crispy handheld device. So I thought I'd probably stay away from there. I feel like some Chinese spots are pretty rough as well. But yeah, probably those off the top of my head. Yeah, you, would, you wouldn't have, there wouldn't be many too, too many places that you wouldn't have been actually. Um, it take, takes you everywhere from, especially from traveling from, from 12 years of age or even younger. Exactly. What advice have you got for other talented players you know, to prevent injuries as they, they get older or even they're dealing with injury setbacks now? Well, I don't know if I'm the best person to talk about preventing injuries. I feel like uh, there's probably people that have stayed healthier that are probably best to talk about. But for me, it would be just train smart. 
and and just be open and be aware of your body if you're feeling something let people know so um don't try and push through and be a hero all the time kind of let people know what you're feeling and kind of then go from there and assess that and if people are struggling with injuries and motivation i think uh the biggest thing is remember why you're doing it if you don't if you don't enjoy it or you're not looking forward to the challenge or looking forward to competing maybe maybe honestly take up other avenues because you have to enjoy it because it's rough out there um especially if things don't always go your way which they don't um and the other thing for me that's really kept myself going was just believing in the training and work that i've done um and hang my hats on uh sort of the good moments i've had uh on tour and trying to get into positions physically and mentally where i can kind of try and recreate those and and have more of those moments so yeah th- those those two things just be smart about it and and think think clearly i guess well, Tanasi, we, we can't get you on the show in the week leading up to the NBA finals and not touch on it. You're a very <laughs> eager basketball fan. LA yeah. and Miami, who do you reckon will get the Chockeys? I do feel like LA is the team to beat. I feel like it will be LA in probably five or six. I'll probably say LA in six, but Miami are, are coming and they're going to be good for a very long time. So I think it's going to be interesting. I'm filthy about my Rockets. I'm happy... We've got a different coach. So, um, yeah, the boys need to take a good, long, hard look at themselves and restock for next year. (laughs) Cock, mate, thanks so much for joining us. If there's one bloke out there who deserves, you know, to fulfil his ability, uh, it'll be you, mate. And, you know, I'm sure I can speak on the behalf of all us Aussie tennis fans. We're looking forward to seeing you get back on court and, and lay some more forehands. I appreciate it, fellas. Thanks for having me. Enjoyed it. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Aussies Only. Once again, be sure to head over to latuatennis.com before they sell out of their brand new collection. Amesy, thank you for joining me. I'm looking forward to next week's show. Subscribe to The First Serve via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform to listen at your convenience to all our weekly content, including past editions of Aussies Only, as well as our dedicated commercial radio program each Monday on SEN that you may have missed at 7pm Eastern. Crunching the numbers and in the huddle, produced by Study and Play USA. Subscribe to The First Serve, your home of tennis. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.